Hello and welcome to the Uniformed Handball Hour. Today on the episode we have a very special guest in Zeged and Slovenia playmaker Dejan Bombach. Before we talk to Dejan, we're going to jump into the Olympic qualification tournaments that are coming up this weekend. Boys, how are you? Hello Brian. Very good. Doing well. There's going to be two teams from each group that are going to make it to the final tournament. Group one, in tor- or they're called tournament one, we have Norway, Brazil, Chile, South Korea. Tournament two, France, Croatia, Tunisia, Portugal. And tournament three, we have Germany, Sweden, Slovenia and Algeria. So let's quickly then start with tournament one. Probably the easiest to predict out of all three of these tournaments, huh? Well, easy to predict that Norway should get through. But the other teams, probably a bit of a question mark. I think South Korea, let's let's see what they come out with for this tournament because they were so focused on this qualification tournament that they didn't even send their first team to the World Championship. So this is a team that's been locked up in a hall somewhere in South Korea for about three months. And they're, <laughs> they're probably just happy to be out, out of that training lockdown and actually playing as far as i saw the squad didn't have many of the young guys which was a bit surprising um the young guys that we saw in the world championship so it's a completely different team we saw how good the under 21s team was um so i'm actually i'm expecting them to come out and take that second spot above brazil even though that 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 you know, you know how difficult it is for me to <laughs> that, say that. That is a big call. Particularly seeing we haven't seen Korea do much on the men's side in recent years. And I mean, that was the whole reason why they, they sent this young team to the World Championship, right? Because it was going to be a completely different team at the Olympic qualifiers. And because it was going to be in Norway originally, they figured that like they weren't going to take any chances with restrictions by having players in Egypt at the world championship and then maybe not being able to go to norway turns out nobody's allowed in norway at the moment so they moved the whole thing to podgorica in uh, montenegro which uh, is a nice neutral venue there i i don't know if i would back south korea though as you said they must be really happy to get out we know this is a south korea team and a training uh, the training facility where once upon a time was it six or seven players got banned for a couple of months for having a beer. So they must be really happy to get out at last and the beers will be flowing in Podgorica. Maybe maybe after the tournament, though. Um, I still reckon it'll be Brazil to go through. Um, have, you, have you lost a bit of joy for them after that World Championship, Alex? Or what, what makes you doubt them a bit? I think the loss of De Toledo is too big for Brazil. He's an absolutely key part of that team. And without him, they're very unbalanced. Um, they'll have Langara, who's been in great form and was incredible in the World Championships. They have Moraes on the line. But then they get a little bit lost. That Their other back players just aren't at that level good enough to kind of take initiative for a whole game. You know, they might get a couple of goals f- from somewhere, but I, th- I think the loss is a mm. bit too big. But you could, I mean, you could say that 
that loss or the losses that Brazil have had, you, they're all names we know. Who are go- South Korea going to call upon for the goals? But that's the thing about South Korea. I, I, you know, it's it's like this. Do you want a car or do you want the mystery box? I want the mystery box. There could be anything in that mystery box, and I believe that there's something really good in that mystery box. Yeah, it's a package, really, isn't it? That you're getting with with South Korea. But but I just think they'll be so prepared. They'll know exactly. You know, they've been studying these teams nonstop, and they'll like have these specific. Uh, rules and the way they approach the game for each team and that that has to be an advantage for them as opposed to brazil who've been kind of scattered across europe the world playing their own things coming together yeah i mean i think normally you'd say that teams that haven't been playing a lot of games recently are probably at a disadvantage but yeah maybe in in covid times being locked up together might be an advantage i'm not sure i think i'd probably agree with chris i think that Brazil have too much talent and are too battle hard at this stage to to not make it out of that group. There, there is one little spanner in the works here. Just looking at the schedule, and there are three games in three days, so it's really, really tough. And Brazil play Norway on the first night at eight o'clock in the evening, and then have to play South Korea the next day at five thirty. South Korea will have played Chile and picked up probably the easiest victory of the group, and so they will have a bit more rest and will not have had to have just faced Norway. So there's another twist in that one that could favor South Korea a little bit. Interesting one, but Norway should storm to uh, victory there and, and qualify a men's team in the Olympics for the first time since, I think, 1972. Uh, a long time coming. I wish I'd actually checked this up. Yep, 1972. Bingo. All right. Which was the first time men's uh, handball was indoor in the olympics number two group two we have an interesting one here it's france croatia tunisia and portugal which two do you think could be going through from here boys oh god i don't know this is this is very hard to call because you don't know what you're going to get with france croatia have been very up and down and then portugal everything everything they've been through it's going to be a very emotional tournament for them as well i think i'm going to leave the call for this one uh, to alex <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one i agree and i wouldn't quite count tunisia out of the running either because they they play really well against top teams unless they do something stupid and uh lose the game <laughs> Mohamed sanai he's 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 um, he's retired in the meantime from international handball sanai have you heard okay, my money's on tunisia tunisia are going to i couldn't believe that when i, when I read that sanai has retired like that is the, his lasting legacy is throwing away a huge victory over brazil and then getting smacked in the face for the greatest assist of the world championship um well i guess go out on go on your when you're on a high so to speak uh, or the deepest of lows. No, I think I think France will they will win this group. I you know we'd say we don't know what to expect, but we still know to expect a good performance. Even in the World Championships, where they seemed completely off their game, they still performed at a high level. So they they have too many good players to not qualify for Olympics, and I think not having France in the Olympics would be a big pity. I think they'll make it. Croatia is my biggest question mark and I would have actually had Portugal going through through this group um before of course the tragic news but I think that is not only tough emotionally for Portugal but it is a big loss of a big mm. player feels weird talking about it in that way but 
Quintana was a crucial player for them. And actually, Humberto Gomez has also retired. He's not in the squad. So Portugal have lost both of their starting goalkeepers. And that's a huge, huge question mark for me. And it just comes down to what the new coaching team for Croatia can put together. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think Croatia feels like the the wild card in this sense. And well, no, Tunisia is the wild card in this sense because looking at the, the fixtures here, and as you said, it's difficult to discount them. I, maybe not I would discount them from qualifying in the top two, but it, it really wouldn't surprise me if they pick up a point at least against one of these three teams and really shake it up a little bit. So it might not be a straightforward battle between Croatia and Portugal on the second day or Portugal and France on the third day to see who goes through in, in second place. France, the dangerous thing is that we're expecting them to win. You know, <laughs> it's when, when we're looking at them as a, an absolute shambles and expecting nothing from them. That's when they've they've surprised us. Now we're back to expecting them to uh, deliver the goods. But yeah, at home, I guess they will. They'll be the big favorites. If you were to put your money on it, France first and then second place. I'd probably say France first, Croatia second. Alex? Yeah, I'm going to be boring and say France and okay. Croatia mm-hmm. as well. I think it's too much for Portugal. I'm I'm back in Portugal here. I reckon they're going to do it. And I'll do it for Alfredo Quintana and uh, it'll mean a lot for them. Uh, before we move on to Group 3, I think it's a good time to uh, talk to a player who'll be playing in Group 3. And that is Dejan Bombac from Seged and Slovenia joining us from the Slovenian camp. He's on the road. Hello. Hello there. Dejan, how are you? You're, you're on the road. Yes, yes, yes. We start right now. We go to Vienna, you know. Okay. Who, who's driving you? Physiotherapist. Hi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, so you're you're on your way to Vienna and flying to Berlin this evening then, huh? Uh, no, we go uh, tomorrow morning at 7.45. We have the flight. Okay. We, we were just talking about the tough week that you have installed, uh, starting with the game yesterday, um, which you didn't play, but you were there now at this journey. And of course, the Olympic qualifiers are, you know, the big focus. And that's three games in three days. Has it been difficult to focus as a team, especially with this uh, European Championship qualifier game to start? Did you find it difficult to focus on that game when really you had your mind on the Olympics? First goal was uh, this uh, Poland game because it was one big step uh, with victory that uh, we go uh, to Hungary. But uh, what is uh, the, the goal of the season and the most important things is now this in the weekend, what we have to go to Tokyo. Uh, let's hope that uh, we'll go there. And so you had a good chance yesterday to, to watch the team play. And how's, how was it looking from your perspective? Yes, uh, I think we play one uh, really good game. It was uh, what we didn't see in the last time. We play uh, really fast. Everything was fast. We miss uh, a lot of uh, zitzers. One against one with goalkeeper. But I think this is normal. This was, uh, again, first first game together. Uh, after one month, what we need to do, we know that uh, against, let's say, uh, Germany and Sweden, if we will miss this shoot, uh, we will be out. We need to be focused with this uh, chance, what we get, and uh, hopefully everything will be okay. 
I think it's fair to say probably the, the toughest group of the three this weekend. You've got Algeria coming first, which I guess is an, a nice way to start it, a bit like having Poland on Tuesday. You have something to build up into. Uh, you get to see Sweden and Germany beat the hell out of each other on Friday as well before you, you take the two of them on. But um, overall, a really tough group to finish in the top two in. Uh, yes, for sure. Uh, everybody, you know, also in our country think Algeria, this will, will be easy. But uh, we remember how they played the game against France in uh, Egypt. We know that uh, this game uh, will not be easy, for sure, no. Uh, but we need to start uh, with victory. And uh, then, you know, you need to win uh, one game. <laughs> Maybe also this one game against Sweden on Germany victory will not be enough if come the circle. Uh, nobody know, but uh, we go there for take the three victory. We need to think like this. First is Algeria and uh, next day Germany and Sweden. We need to think like this and to have this just in our mind. And when you're playing like three games, three days in a row like that, is there a little bit of strategy in terms of, are you thinking about who might play what game? Is there anything like that? Are you just really focused on one game at a time? Or was there a little bit of resting going on in the last game, perhaps? Uh, for sure, I think uh, everybody makes some calculation, you know. It's not just that uh, you play for sure each game like a final, you know. Other team who is not playing makes some calculation. That's, that's I think, is normal uh, to find a way how to come there. We know that uh, our three teams, they're uh, really close. And this uh, depends just, uh, at the end can be just some lucky. Who will go there, you know? And uh, we will see, like I say, uh, for sure Sweden, Germany and also Algeria have a calculation how, how to get there. But uh, we need to believe in us that uh, we can do it. Lubomir Varanias has been the coach now for over a year. Have you felt a change come with Vranjas as coach and does the team feel different now? For sure, you know, Ljubo, Ljubo is a really good coach. He's, uh, you know, what before we didn't have, he's really calm. He's more or less never start to screaming or humiliating you, you know, and this for, for us, is uh, it was something new, you know, is different, uh, maybe culture, you know, and uh, was nice and good. And uh, for sure, we improve, we show in Sweden, we make one step. Now in Egypt, let's say we have one, uh, one bad day against Russia. <laughs> we was favorite. If we win this game, we will be for sure uh, out of group. But this is sport. At the end, also one goal against Sweden or uh, Egypt will be enough. But this is uh, the beauty of the sport, you know, when uh, you are so close and then so, so far, you know. Ljubo make a lot of good uh, stuff with us and uh, hope uh, in this weekend uh, we will continue. You said about him being calm there. It's, uh, I guess, a bit different to the previous coach, Veselin Vujovic, then. A very different ty type of mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. This is like, uh, you know, like Veselin is more uh, impulsive. Uh, they are like uh, white and black. It's uh, not possible to compare them, but uh, each of them have uh, something, you know, and uh, for us, was this like Lubo have? This is for us something new, let's say, like this. You have obviously Lubo as head coach who played at the centre back. You have Zorman as the assistant coach who also played at centre back. And then the team itself is very, very strong in the centre back position. Does that make a difference for you having this connection with the coaching staff when they have such a 
strong culture in the center back position? I don't think so. You know that uh, maybe they are look looking to us uh, maybe with different eyes. You know, be the same position. The most important, I think, that uh, they that they build a team. You know, not uh, like individual player, but uh, to make a team. This this you need uh, to be a good coach. You know, and when you make a team, then uh, I think the success will come. Tell me a little bit about the little club you have in that centre-back position because we, we've known for years how strong Slovenia is and in the current squad you've got uh, Skuba, Zarabets, yourself, uh, Rokovnicek is a bit of a playmaker as well, uh, Jaka Malush can be and even Jura Dolonets who's not a centre-back has the heart of a centre-back it seems but uh, very strong in that position and I guess for you it's a very unusual position to be in a, a group of players like this that are so different, but how do you look at that when you join the national team and know that you have so many different styles of players playing in the same position with you? Yeah, it's uh, really this. I think no one uh, country have a playmaker like us, you know. Uh, we have really, we forget also, you forget to say also young uh, Domen Marcus, for sure he will in future one of the best. This is not question for me. We have really a lot uh, and we can put, you know, I say one time we can make uh, one team from left wing to the right wing, you know, just somebody, the lens, we put the lens to right wing, you know, we can play everywhere. (laughs) 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 That's the pivot is big problem, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So put Stas Scuba as the pivot, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, With a little bit stomach, you know, I can play there maybe, you know. Um, it's it's great, you know. It's great, uh, like you say. Uh, I think for the coach, it's the best to have something like that because uh, it's difficult that will come a game and that uh, three or four of us will be really bad, you know. And uh, we know that attack depend more or less from playmaker and uh, it's important uh, information for for him. I think that uh, who have this day play this game and that our attack will be good. And it must be very different to your club, Zeget, where you are really the focal point of that offense and and you have full control. And then coming to Slovenia and there is, you know, so many people who want to control the game as well. How do you balance that? It's This is one of the parts what is most difficult for us because uh, everybody likes to be leaders, you know. And uh, everybody wants to play. It's difficult to make uh, everybody happy. Like like championship or these three games, you know, nobody can play uh, 16 minutes, 100%, you know, in this level. It's so difficult. And in this way, it's good. But like you say, it's totally different. Like in the club, when you have control of everything and then you come uh, in national team and uh, it's uh, different. It's totally different, let's say. You mentioned Doman Makic there as well, who will be like already is becoming a, a rising star. Do you think it's something that you'll continue to do in Slovenia as a handball nation to provide these playmakers? I, I don't know what the the secret behind it is. Maybe all the tall players are going to play volleyball and basketball, and it just leaves the rest of you to be creative as as handball playmakers. But um, do you do you feel confident that that will be something that continues? I think yes. Uh, I think in uh, we have also one more guy. You know, uh, I speak with uh, Uros. He sent me one guy from Gorenia, playmaker, 2000. I don't know two. And uh, Uros said that he will be also really, really good. You know, and I believe to Uros. I don't know where where we find these playmakers, but 
<laughs> we have uh, we have playmakers, but uh, now also we have let's say muscles, you know, with Gabriel Blagotinšek. What before we didn't have now one big problem for us that Henningman and Machkovšek are not here, you know. This our shoot from nine meters, uh, we don't have it, but uh, but uh, this is our life. We will not cry. Uh, we need to continue and believe in our work that we can play with everybody. And just going back to the uh, Olympic qualifying tournament, you singled out the two games of Germany and Sweden being key. You must have a different approach where Sweden, you played them quite recently and you have kind of a game experience while Germany may seem a little bit more foreign. What's the easier game to approach? You, you know, it's, it's difficult, you know. I, I don't want to jump from, from uh, Algeria, you know. But uh, if we speak about that, you know, it's difficult to be Germany. Now I don't know how much time passed that we didn't play, you know, in Sweden. With Sweden, we played two or three times. We know that we are in Sweden. Last time we won for three goals, you know. Now in Egypt was draw and uh, we are close to each other, you know. Goal one, up or down. With Germany now, uh, I think last time we played in Slovenia, this was two or three years ago, you know. And uh, they changed the team. We changed from, for sure, uh, the, the more stronger Germany is in defense, you know. From from there they live and we'll see how it will go, you know. It will be difficult, but uh, I think uh, we can manage. I'm sure that Germany team would love to uh, buy at least one of your playmakers, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not just them. Yeah. <laughs> can we talk a little bit about the, the club season? Because from the outside, it seems like a very frustrating season with Seged, particularly the beginning where you were just riddled with covid problems and i know you had your own personal experience with that as well yes really like you say we i think we are the team who who lose the most you know in this uh let's say half a season you know what we play we come to national team but uh, last game in sunday what we play again uh, four four player no three players positive coach positive four injury player you know much henningman Banhidi and Stepancic, you know, we again play with six, seven players you know, all the season like this. You need a little bit of time to come from this COVID. And, uh, but at the end, uh, look, uh, and they took us the points against Flensburg and Paris without playing, you know. Uh, it's some strange season, let's say like this, let's say like this. But uh, at the end, we know if you want to go to Kel, you need uh, to beat uh, big teams. And so what was it like for you? personally dealing with your own case of COVID? Because I think if I remember correctly, you're out for for quite some time. Um, how was that mentally for you coming back from that uh, illness? You know, for me, more, more difficult was uh, this uh, preparation, you know, again. We started the preparation, then COVID in Hungary was, uh, was at the beginning really different rules than in other countries, what they have, you know. We was almost two months out, you know, and then again, make preparation. Then you come to national team again, preparation, you know, all the season, I think I'm just in uh, preparation, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was really deep, but uh, hope this soon will finish, you know, because I think it's totally, totally enough with this COVID and that uh, life will start to be normal for everybody. With all that preseason preparation over and over again, you must be feeling pretty fit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, I'm fit, you know. Uh, but uh, but like I say, for for the head, it's really difficult. 
you said there, you know, to get to Cologne, you have to you have to beat the best along the way, and and you're getting a, a nice test in the playoffs already with Giel, the defending champions. Does it feel like a bit of a a free hit for you, like a, a free chance to just maybe shock them, given how disrupted and and annoying this season has been? For sure, I think uh, somebody up there is looking. You know, uh, somebody needs to be there and. Uh, like I say, for example, last season when we have really great season, you know, we play really amazing handball and come COVID, you know. Then we start this whole half season really bad. This is a challenge, you know. They are champions. Everybody wants to beat them. And we are first who get this chance, you know. And I'm happy. At the end, I'm happy to play the game like this. You live for the game like this, not uh, to play some uh, other just league matches, you know. This is what what we what we want, what we, for what we live, you know, the big games. Just hope that uh, maybe some fans can will, will come to, the, to, to see these games. This is also one, one big point what I hope that will come, you know. Has it been a big realisation this season, how much fans, how much energy fans give you? For, for sure, uh, in Seget, is, uh, this is also one of the, the problem, you know, biggest problem, you know, not just for Seget. We have amazing fans. And when we play at home, is uh, with a full sport hall is uh, for each for each team who come in Seged, you know, it's really difficult, you know, to win there. Now in this season we lose uh, three or four games. Before that, uh, two years nothing, you know, and uh, it's shocked. But uh, what we can do for everybody is the same. And uh, let's hope, like I said, this nightmare, let's say, will finish soon. I've been to the hall in in Seged and it's an amazing experience when you know it's completely full. It's so intimidating. You know, it's very intimate with everyone on top of the players. It's a, a fantastic experience, and uh, yeah, hopefully, as you said, we'll get some people back soon. We'll uh, we'll leave you in peace for the rest of your journey to Vienna, Dayan. Uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to chat. And uh, we'll see if you'll break some German hearts over the next few weeks in, in the national team and the club. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks a lot today, and Bombach for taking the time to chat. Uh, interesting perspective from him before that really tough Group Three with Slovenia, Sweden, Germany, and Algeria. Quick predictions from you two guys. Uh, Alex is in pain here. You're, 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 you're first on that one. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't see Alex's face here. But Alex looks like he's about to give birth. Uh, but I'll, I'll give my predictions then. I, oh God, it's it's very tough. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go here and say that I fancy. I, I'll go Sweden and Slovenia. Why not? The the reason why my face was contorted because unfortunately I have to say that I don't think Slovenia will get through. And it will be Sweden, Germany. Oh, God. And that's, that's why it pains me so much. Again, Brazil and Slovenia, not, not going through my predictions. But um, I don't know. It, it seems like Slovenia have, they just haven't had enough lately. Not quite there. I, I think Germany will be very good. And we saw what Sweden can do. So, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, I mean, this group is, is so tough. Uh, Germany, Sweden in the first game. I think that's gonna that's gonna say a lot. Germany don't have big Paul Drucks. He's out. Well, that that's why they're going through. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they do have Fabian Vida back, and he who's played his. I think it's over five hundred days since he played his last game for Germany, which is uh, it's going to be a big weekend for him. 
He's been very good for Fuxa. I say say Slovenia, Sweden as well. There you go. Wow. Germany's got so are you are you, are you guys questioning Gislason? No. Is that is that what you're doing with these? No, I, I just <laughs> question 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 the German players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I think yeah. Goalkeepers could be a problem for Germany this weekend. Anyway, that's our predictions. So uh shall we go into the men's champions league as well? Yeah. Uh, seeing as we spoke to Dan about that and the really uh, really some great last 16 or playoff ties in the men's champions league and i guess the best place to start is seged against kiel seged could they break some german hearts some more german hearts here and uh, defeat the reigning champions in the first knockout round it's funny that that's the tie that ended up uh, happening out of this because there is this controversy with albor kiel and motor and games being cancelled, and really that was all around avoiding Zegat, mm. really, who who actually had their own issues with three games not being played. They got they got two losses out of that and one win. But this mashup that happened at the very end, and it just threw together Kiel and Zegat, which is a tasty, tasty game <laughs> to uh, start off the last 16. It, it's really difficult to call because, as uh, Dan Bombat said, Zegat have just been through the works this year. It's impossible to predict what kind of form they will be in going into that game. Kiel have also had pretty major issues. Not only is it the tightest game, it's also the the one with so many other variables. That's I, I think it's absolutely impossible to predict. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lot of that's a lot of words to say Whoa. that uh, I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> I like I I do have a sneaking suspicion that Segad will def they'll definitely give them something to to worry about. Like that that is giving Kiel some sleepless nights at the moment preparing for the real wild card of the season if if i'd said to you before the final four but so before we saw the christmas final four that zegat are going to be playing against kiel at uh, in the playoffs what would you have said then before the final four i think most people would say definitely zegat no it's a good way of looking at it i i think again it would have been difficult to answer that before the final four because that's when zegat only had about seven players <laughs> <laughs> but if you're gonna if you're gonna tell me in the middle of the group stage zegat are gonna have a full team uh playing against keel in the last 16 i would have also gone with zegat mm. yeah that's a, that's a really good way to put it um but that's not the case you know we have keel no. as the as the reigning champions now and we've seen what they can do in the pressure situations if peckler vincek and sagerson all come through this weekend of Olympic qualifiers unscathed and come out with positive results. Uh, I think it um, it'll be theirs to to win. And uh, I'm done with doubting Keel. Uh, I feel this podcast isn't done with doubting Keel, but for the moment, I'm. I, I think they're going to be they're going to be under serious pressure. It's going to be a really close game. It is the most interesting bracket mm. as well to get that route to the final four because PSG are in there as well, along with Celia. Who uh, are just happy to be there? Um, <laughs> as as per your dog memes, uh, anyone who hasn't seen that, go onto our our Instagram at Handball Hour, and uh, you can see Alex's last sixteen brackets as dogs, which has been a hit. So that's that's why I'm going to reference the rest of this uh, last sixteen overview. So we have we've we've Kiel Seged, PSG Celia in one quarter. 
So one of those four teams are going to go through. How about the Battle of the East? The Zappers against Brest. One of these two teams is going to the quarterfinals. How great is that? Why is it going to be Motor Zaporozhye, Brian? Uh, just one thing to quickly say. You said, Chris, there, it's going to be a great game. It's two games, isn't it? It's, it's games, at home yeah. and away, just yeah, to be... Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Just to be... I, I just... All right, sorry, yeah. Question, sorry. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I was there looking to read the stuff. So, Brian, how far are Motor Zaporozhye going to get this season? Oh, I think going on my prediction, I'm going to double down here and say they're going to go all the way to the final four. <laughs> uh, no, no, I mean, it's Brest. I think Brest and Motor have been in my head, in my head anyway. I'm not sure, quite sure. This seemed quite similar-ish. So I think it's going to be a fairly, fairly close game. But I, you know, I, I, I fancy Motor, you know, I've backed them all season long. I backed them two seasons ago. So I'm going to stick with them now. Uh, the, the winner gets to, to face Barca in the quarterfinals, so, uh, <laughs> so it's a big call, <laughs> Brian. Um, you've liked the luck of uh, Brest, Alex, I think, this season. Um, it's, you know, the they've got a pair of Slovenians in there, Stash, Skuba, and Jaka Malush. Do you think they'll be too strong for Motor? I think so. Um, I think Stash Skuba has just been incredible for, for them, and they have Valapau and who's the other winger Yernok they're just a a very well put together team but Motor just have to give a shout out to Vyacheslav Bokan for Motor Zaporozhye we haven't talked about him uh, too much he's a 24 year old at all we haven't haven't (laughs) talked about him at all (laughs) (laughs) but he's a 2 meter tall 24 year old Belarusian line player who is the third top scorer in the Champions League this season mm. with 67 goals just behind Mikkel Hansen and Alex Dushabayev. He's just been unstoppable at times. And I, you know, I don't have that much faith in the Meshkov Brest defense. Um, I actually, I can't tell you exactly why. It's a gut feeling that I just, I feel they've struggled at times. Um, and I think it, Motor have the ability to just go to one move over and over again and break down a team. And I think I'm actually leaning towards Motor as well. Mm. Okay. Well, one thing is for sure. We're going to have packed houses in both arenas, which is really which is really <laughs> unusual. And it's probably the only time where we can say that a team having fans will not give them an unfair home advantage because probably both in Zaporozhye and in Brest, there will be fans allowed in the arena, which uh, is crazy. So, yeah, Barca will have no problem against Elvrum, I think it's fair to say. In the third bracket here, I'm looking at Vesperm Vardar and Kielce Nantes. Two interesting games. The Kielce Nantes stands out to me there. This is very open as well. If you just glance at it, you, you would... Probably say Veshram and Kielsa are, are quite clear favourites, but it's the way it's the teams they're playing haven't been consistent. That's why they ended up so low in the group. But each team, Vardar and Nantes, have really put it up um, against the top teams. So they have a really high ceiling where we saw Nantes beat Kiel, just the consistency been lacking. And that's what that's what makes the these ties very interesting i've been really impressed with kielsa 
this season, even though they've also not been very consistent. But I have chaos to get into the final four above Vashprem. Ooh, which which tells you what 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 my predictions for the playoffs are. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're, you got Vashprem and Kelsey going through to the quarterfinals. There, no chance for Nantes, Brian. Nantes. They've had. They've been very. Um, but they had that really bad run at home this season, which was very unusual because I think it was their worst performance at home that we've ever seen from them in the, in the Champions League. But they, when you look at their results, especially look at that Barcelona game when they really pushed Barcelona, probably the hardest, uh, excluding the Final Four, of course, at Christmas, um, they do have really big performances in them, you know, mm. but maybe have lacked a little bit of consistency over the whole season. So it's not out of this world that they could beat Kielce, but I think when you've watched Kielce all season, they've, they've played the much the much better handball. So I would I would think that when you look at the star power also, uh, especially in the Kielce's backcourt, I think they'll have too much for them. So I'll, I'll, I'll say Kielce just to shave it. Mm. And I think Vesprem should beat Vardar by five. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's fair. It should be a close one, though, I think, between Kielce and Nantes. If Nantes can can pull some big games out of the bag. Flensburg are going to beat Zagreb. Uh, what, what kind of dog is uh, is that? <laughs> the poor the poor Zagreb dog in your memes, Alex. I actually, I googled the derpiest dog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the most stupid looking dog I could find. Uh, and that is what I went with, Zagreb. Yeah. So well, it's safe to say we'll be seeing Zagreb in the European League next season. I think, yeah, they'll be probably replaced by Nexa. Nexa, probably the, the next big team to come from Croatia there. But that's for another day. Yeah, you, the dog you chose wasn't so uh, so nice for Zagreb, but Mia Zvije on Twitter gave him uh, gave them an even worse dog. So uh, <laughs> um, we were being relatively nice there. Uh, that one is fairly straightforward. Flensburg to go through to the quarterfinal. But then we have Porto against Alborg, who were going to face each other last year at this stage, which was a, a tie I was really looking forward to. They're going to face off this time. Again, it's it's really difficult to talk about purely handball with Porto having lost Alfredo Quintana. But that will be a really interesting tie against Alborg. Absolute coin flip. Yeah. Uh, for me, two teams that have really impressed over the last two seasons have made progress and you know it, it's great to see that one of them will get to a quarterfinal place at least and is probably going to challenge Flensburg a lot in that quarterfinal but you know both of these teams are quarterfinal standard teams <sighs> which one to get through I don't know um for Porto just going back to what I mentioned with Portugal the loss of Quintana in a pure players uh, sense isn't as big for Porto because they were able to get Martin uh, Schickelli, uh the backup goalkeeper from Veshrem in straight away and he's he's a good player and actually Mitrevsky who has been the backup goalkeeper for for this season has been very good so that, that position stays strong for Porto personally I think they are the favorites going into this even though Albor have been very, very good. But maybe we're projecting a little bit too much with Albor because, you know, the whole Mikkel Hansen signing and the ambition that the club has in the next few seasons, I find myself thinking about that and assuming that they're going to be better than they actually are this season, where this season 
you know, I think they've punched above their weight, but when you look at their squad, it's not as good as Porto's and Porto are just um, a better team. Well, Brian, you, you really underestimated Alborg at the start of the season um, and, and felt that, you know, they, they actually were better than you, you believed. Uh, how do you, <laughs> you don't look very happy with that summation. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're completely right. Uh, I remember just probably just because Alex is saying how good they were. I was like, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to roll the dice here now and just say they're not good. And then if they're not good, I'll sound great. <laughs> no, no, they've been they've been they've been really really good. Um, definitely a revelation for for I think for a lot of people, and uh, especially for me as well. But it, it like but knockout handball, I think it takes a good bit of experience, and maybe Porto have a little bit more experience um, over the past few seasons. But Alberg have a really big game in them, but they can also lose like they lost to Nantes late in the season again. So I, I'd probably I, I was agreeing almost with everything what Alex said there. So I think I'd I'd give uh, Porto the favourite badge going into that tie. Those coming up in in three weeks' time uh, at the end of March and the beginning of April, the women's playoffs in the Champions League are already underway. We had the first leg last weekend, uh, four blowouts really, and then four really really interesting games i think the best place to start with is krim mercator beating uh, csk 25 20 at home and this was a seventh seed beating a second seed and thanks mostly to jovana risovic with 26 saves for krim a 55.3 percent save rate <laughs> which is phenomenal and crazily enough krim have had an incredible record against good Russian teams this season because they got a victory and a draw against Rostov Don and now they've beaten CSK in the first leg. You, Chris, you've literally set, literally set all of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, I could literally show you these right here. Like literally all of my notes. Sorry. <laughs> were, were took points against Rostov, Russian team. Uh, <laughs> 11 saves in the first 20 minutes, 26 in total uh, made the difference. The only thing you didn't mention was the CSK were missing uh, Dimitrieva and uh, Vedkineva. How do you say her name again? Vedkina. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, I mean, Alex has been good at kind of out, outlining what uh, Dimitrieva does both in attack and defence and what she adds to a team. So they're obviously missing a, a big player there. And it, it was funny before the game, Oras Bregar said that they had been preparing the whole game with, with the focus of shutting down Dimitrieva. And then before the game, they realised that she wasn't playing. Um, so they were a bit taken aback by that as well. Job but, done. Uh, got the, got the <laughs> but job done, yeah. <laughs> But he said also that going into the next game, even with the five goal cushion, they're still by no means the 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 favourite. And I, you can understand where he's coming from. Like I mean, they were such underdogs, and then to get that win, I mean, maybe five goals isn't even enough of a cushion. I mean, you think that CSK were second on the power ranking going into this game as well. They were big, big kind of in, an informed team and everything. So that's a, it's a huge, huge, huge shock. Yeah, uh, I was actually when uh, before you mentioned the 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 impressive goalkeeping performance i was just looking at the csk player shooting percentages and i was i was kind of awestruck <laughs> how bad they are they had uh, six players who shot under 40 percent including skorobagachenko with one out of seven and that that's kind of the general trend and you just don't see you don't expect csk moscow to have such a bad shooting day again but Five goals is a lot. 
five goals is not an easy lead to, to, to turn around yeah that's true um yeah we'll see i we don't know about dimitrieva whether she'll be back uh or vedkina but um if they are that could make a huge difference but either way will be a tough task and grim uh, or have been decent away from home at times as well so potentially huge shock there uh csm bucharesti are going to go through they beat Falcia by nine away from home, as did Rostov Don over Podravka. Dürr hammered Bietigheim by 17 goals away from home. Bratania beat Esbjerg by six away from home, which was a pretty close game until the last quarter or so where Esbjerg, as they have, all, have done all season, pushed hard, then kind of fell away. And Anna Gross had a quintuple with 10 goals and six assists. Oh, nice. Really, really impressive performance. Anna Gross continuing her fine form. That was a, it was a good performance overall from Brest, uh, particularly in the second half. Uh, but Uchinos and FTC. FTC, Brian. What, their favorite? <laughs> uh, uh, they keep... They keep if, if, you, if, people, if people only heard me talk about FTC, they think, this guy's an absolute genius. He predicts it every single year. <laughs> Once again, they go into a knockout game uh, with expectations. Probably real favorites this time against Budachnos too. Have a lot of young players uh, missing Andrea Lekic, but end up in an absolute scrap of a game. It was 11-7 at halftime uh, to Budicnost. FTC came back well in the second half. Emily Bulk found a bit of form, but then ended up losing 22-19. That's going to be quite a second leg in Budapest as they... Yeah, three goals is not, it's not much at all, but it'll probably be a really low-scoring game again. And... Uh, yeah, you never know. But it's just somehow, you know, scraping together performances. It never seems to be the type of game that really suits FTC. This when you, yeah. I think I said it a few weeks ago as well. When you come up against Budichnost, it's going to be an abs- especially in a knockout match. It's it's not going to be anyway beautiful at all. Mm. So, and I think I'm not really sure that type of type of game suits the FTC kind of um, mentality. But there's one game which you didn't mention: no. uh, Vipers versus Odense. And I think there's a, a reason you left this until the last game. Because I'm just looking at the the comments here on on the EHFCL uh, Instagram page, and there's a lot of people saying that the Vipers Odense game was the best game of the season so far. It was one hell of a game. It was very much it was the opposite uh, end of the the women's handball spectrum. You know, we saw the FTC and Budapest in a, a low scoring game. This was 36 35. That if both defenses completely absent, and I think yeah, Odense. Uh, despite winning the game, they only had one two-minute suspension for the entire game. So I think that tells you a lot about uh, the lack of uh, physicality and dominance in the in the defense. Uh, really entertaining game, though it has to be said. Uh, both backcourts working very very well. Lois Abing uh, producing a brilliant performance at left back. Uh, Henny Rice that was in amazing form in the second half. Seven goals for her in that second half. Ten overall. Also won a couple of penalties, but what really stood out to me was Lynn Suland, the only right back left in the Vipers squad at the moment, 36 years old. And, you know, kind of these days comes in for about 10, 15 minutes, might take the penalties as well because there's Nora Merck in the squad, also Silvia Vada. So there was two uh, younger and more fancied right backs in the team. But with Merck out at the moment, uh, still unsure exactly what the extent of that injury she had and Celia Vada having an ACL injury, it meant that Sullen was the only right back in the squad. And yeah, she reeled back the years. Um, 
two whole years since she was the top scorer in the competition. So it's not that far back, but it feels longer ago. And she uh, had a brilliant game. Difficult to say what will happen in that second leg because both sets of players and coaches afterwards were saying, like, we knew what was coming but we just couldn't do anything about it. So there was no surprises between these two teams, uh, yet they couldn't really do anything to stop each other. So I'm sure there'll be some lessons learned in there. Vipers weren't playing at home, even though they were the home team. They were playing that game in Ecast, and uh, they'll have the second leg in Odense. Yeah, just a one-goal game between them. Really looking forward to that. I, I don't know if you have any insider information on that, uh, Chris, but the Nora Mork situation seems to be a little bit... Hush, hush, I don't know exactly what's going on here. I think it's almost a month ago now they said that it wasn't that serious and that she would miss the next league game. But I don't think she's, she hasn't played since, obviously. And she Maybe that was a bit smart from Vipers because they haven't been able to play any league games. Yeah. So, so they're still waiting for the next league game. Oh, true, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. they're probably just protecting her. I'd like to think they're just protecting her in this case and um, yeah, seeing if they, uh, if they can get through this game and and Norway can get through the qualifiers for the Olympics without her and then have her fit for the business end of the season. Yeah. And how much of a difference has Mia Rai brought to Odense? Because she was a mid-season pickup and we saw how incredible she performed in the European Championship. Um, She had a really good game, uh, especially in the clutch. She scored two goals and got a couple of assists at the very end of that game. game do, do you think her joining Odense actually makes them you know more of a contender yeah it, it gives them a bit of uh balance and a chance to rotate that backcourt a little bit because before she joined there was a lot more pressure I think on uh Nika Groot the Dutch playmaker to to do everything in that case alongside Lois Abing and so it was the two of them at left back and center back um, really having to to try and carry the team. Um, they had they have some decent players elsewhere in that backcourt, like uh, Angelica Valen, and they did have another player who was injured, Helena Elver. So after Elver got injured, they decided to bring in uh, Mia Rai, and she's been yeah at, at the same level basically as uh, Nika Kroot, and uh, as you said, came in. Didn't really do much at the start once she came in, but in that final 15 minutes really turned it on and uh, gave Odense some different options because they were being shut down a little bit in the backcourt, switched their focus to getting the balls out to the wing, getting the balls into the line as well, which uh, worked really well. And uh, that was the main difference for them in the end to get the victory. Someone who's been looking, I mean, progressively better and better every time you seem to see her year on year is Tenny Reistat. She's really becoming a standout kind of uh, Norwegian talent in the backcourt who's really going to take over this next generation. I mean, she scored 10, as you said, but she did miss the last shot. So uh, maybe she's a little bit still to learn. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that's the Norwegian way, right? That's, that's, that's around the same as Sagasan does. As well. <laughs> no, she, she was so dominant in that game. Like I, would, I can't even start to explain how she ran the show in that yeah, second she's half really good. And, she, and she's moving to Esbjerg next season so uh, mm. an interesting uh, move there it'll be uh, her and two big shooters in the backcourt so she'll lift that Champions League trophy in about 2023 24 when she joins Dior right <laughs> <laughs> well uh, yeah. yeah probably probably I 
we've spoken about the men's Champions League and the men's Olympic qualifiers, the women's Champions League. So let's wrap up with the women's Olympic qualifiers, which are happening next weekend. So that is the 19th, 20th and 21st of March. Three tournaments again, three days. Top two teams from each group go to Tokyo 2020. Mm. Uh, Spain, Sweden, Senegal, Argentina in tournament one. Russian Handball Federation, Serbia, Kazakhstan, Hungary in tournament two. And then Norway, Montenegro and Romania. No fourth team, which we can get into in a moment in tournament three. First of all, quick predictions on Spain, Sweden, Senegal and Argentina tournament one. Any surprises or will it be Spain and Sweden to go through? Uh, I think it's fairly straightforward, that one. Obviously, this is the Swedish team now with the first time without Bella Guldin no, in there. Uh, so that's going to be a, look a little bit different. But yeah, I think it should be a good game, maybe against Swe- Spain and Sweden. But it's, it's going to be, yeah, plain sailing otherwise. Yeah, agree. Easy enough there. Um, <laughs> nothing, not much else to say. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, Argentina, we gotta, we'll give them some love for Laura Ajena as well, our regular contributor on women's handball, but um, hard to see past those two. Tournament two, Russian Handball Federation, with Russia being banned from Olympic competitions, Serbia, Kazakhstan, and Hungary in Hungary. This is a tough one, or is it? Yeah. So, Brian, will Hungary do another bottle job? Give us another yeah. analysis. <laughs> I, I don't know because Serbia would obviously still missing Andrea Lekic as well but I mean they, they did have some great performances without her and they kind of I don't know I'm not, I'm not convinced really either by Serbia or Hungary I think Hungary have the better the much better talent in their in their squad and especially in their, their young players so I think I'll probably go for I probably actually go for I think they, Hungary might not bottle it this time uh, they're, not, they're not exactly FTC either you know but uh, even though they're, they're basically made up from FTC players but uh I go, I go, I'll go hungry Russia. I think Serbia, I think they're aging, they're, they're missing Andrzej Lekic. Oh, I don't fancy them too much. Uh, I, I got Serbia. I don't, I don't trust Hungary. <laughs> I don't trust Hungary. My two, my two rules for women's handball, most Norwegians and don't trust the Hungarians. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? I think Hungary will do it, will they? Yeah. Uh, it's Russia and... Hungary. Russia, Hungary. Stick into it. Group three. Now, the only three teams in this one, Norway, Montenegro, and Romania. We were going to have China originally as the fourth team in that. They withdrew. Then Hong Kong withdrew. They were replaced by Thailand. Thailand said they didn't want to be involved. China asked to come back into it. IHF said yes, but then China withdrew again due to COVID-19. And then Kazakhstan was moved to tournament two. And no other Asian team was found. Uh, Hong Kong said, no, thank you. And Thailand didn't respond on time, which is basically them saying, no, thank you. Well, I don't, I don't blame Hong Kong and Thailand for not flying halfway across the world to just get smashed by Norway, Montenegro and Romania. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Three teams, Norway, big favorites for me, but it's in Montenegro, in Podgorica, and uh, feels like... Montenegro against Romania is going to be one hell of a battle. We have to remember as well that Romania now have uh, kind of put the last Euro to to bed almost because they have a new coach now in Adrian Vasile. So he's a, an interesting character and seems to be a, a decent coach. And he's, you know, he's been there obviously with CSM Bucharesti when they won the Champions League as well. So he's a much 
in much better shape, I think. Romania should be in much better shape this time out because they were absolutely disgraceful at the at the Euro. They were kind of all over the place and just didn't really seem to be to be motivated. So they have the best player in the world, but they're coming up against Montenegro, who's Kim Rasmussen. So maybe a little bit of a a tactical battle there uh, of the two men in the hot seat. Yeah, and very interesting. And Vasile used to be the assistant coach for Montenegro, working with Per Johansson, so he knows them very well. As recently as Japan twenty nineteen, there so uh, a lot of. Um, Didn't Adrian work with Kim Rasmussen when they won the Champions League like, as well? Of course, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, Vasile's yeah. uh, Vasile's been the uh, the perennial bridesmaid, finally getting his shot in the big seat uh, for Bucharest and just Romania. So you fancy Romania then? I'm no, I'm not saying that now, but I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's going to be very, very close. I mean, I'm just saying I think I wouldn't think that you're going to see the same Romanian side that we saw at the Euro because I think they were it was one of the worst performances we've seen from them. I think you might see a revitalized Romanian team. So I think it could be a very close game. It's very hard to say who, which way it'll go, but if you're putting a gun to my head, I'd probably say Montenegro because we saw how much they improved and how, how good they were for most of their games at the Euro also. So they've been kind of doing it for a little bit longer in terms of the in terms of their form so i'd probably fancy montenegro just to to uh, edge it i was gonna say montenegro but then i saw that christian niagu uh, scored 13 goals got five assists on 76 percent shooting for csm bucharesti so she is on fire so uh romania it is then yeah nice. i think uh, i think it's going to be montenegro and romania to go through norway to go crushing out desperately imagine Surprise. wow no, not a, not a chance in hell. No, um, not a chance. I, I got to give uh, Montenegro at home, even without fans. Norway, Montenegro. Let's go for that. All right. I think that's uh, exhausted all the handball going on at the top level uh, this week and for the next couple of weeks. Thank you, guys, Brian and Alex. Thank you to Dan Bombach for joining. And thank you for all of you for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, probably just before the last 16 of the Men's Champions League gets underway. Until then, goodbye. Bye-bye.